All right, I want you to indulge me a little bit this morning, if you would. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I know it's a dumb exercise, but close your eyes. All right, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the last great meal you had. The last great meal. I want you to think about all the elements of the meal. What it was. What what did you have that day? The entree, the sides. Did you have an appetizer, dessert? Like all the pieces that went into it. Think about where you had it. Where were you at for this great meal? Who was around? Who was with you? Were you with friends or family? Were you in a restaurant? Were you in someone's house? Where were you at? How long did the meal take? Think about that. How long did it take? What did you do during the meal? Was there conversation? Was there laughter? Was it solemn? What was going on during that meal? Okay, you can open your eyes. Did everybody have one? Like, you can remember the last great meal? Yeah, everybody? I can remember a a couple of them. And they're impacting on us. That mealtime is impacting. Those great meals, they're impacting on us. We can remember them for years. And, And there's something about that. But something has happened drastically in American culture, uh, in our culture right now. Because there used to be a time, and I don't mean to get all Mickey Rooney on you, but there used to be a time, there was a time back in the day where, where dinner, specifically dinner, was an event. Right? It was, it was something that was carved out in the day. Family dinner. Um, it was something that took time, that, that you made it a priority. If you, uh, when I was growing up, um, dinner was scheduled every night. We were having family dinner every night, barring obviously some exceptions. But we were going to sit down as a family and eat dinner. And that's just what we did. And, and someone prepared the dinner. Someone went and bought the groceries and they prepared the dinner and they cooked the food, right? And they, they got it. They served it. We all sat. We all ate. We all did it together. It happened, like I said, almost every single night. At least during the week, it happened all the time. And I remember this, and I remember it specifically um, because, I don't know if you had a family like mine, but at, our rule at the, at the dinner table was you had to wait until everybody was done eating. Anybody? anybody? Anybody have that experience? Now, that sounds beautiful, right? It sounds really picturesque. And uh, the problem was, is when I was young, I was diagnosed with ADD. And so uh, there was, this was tough for me. This was, this was the stretch. And, and on the other side of the table was my brother, and my brother was whatever it is the polar opposite of ADD, whatever that is. I don't know, stoic or something. And he, he, when he, when he served himself, he would make quadrants on his plate, food quadrants. And they, each, each food would have its own camp on the plate. And they didn't touch. There were lines of demarcation. It was like North and South Korea on his plate. Nothing, nothing moved over into the other one. They were just... Perfect. And he spent his time. He got it all laid out. And then when he ate, my brother's been thin his whole life. He's a little bit taller than me. He's a little bit thinner than me. He's been thin his whole life. And I think the reason for this is when he would take a bite, whatever, like, whatever doctor recommendation is for chewing, 
like 67 chews a bite. Like he surpassed, doubled it probably. And so he just emaciated his food. And so by the time he swallowed, there wasn't anything to swallow. It was just gone. And then whatever went down, it seemed like between bites, he would give it the time to digest. Full digestion before the next bite. And for me, for me watching this happen, because I, I finished dinner 11 seconds into dinner. It was gone. And he hadn't even finished quadratizing his food yet. And uh, so, you know, I'm at the dinner table like this, feet are tapping, I'm sweating, right? I'm just, I'm watching this happen. My, I'm, I'm six-year-old with blood pressure problems. Like, I'm just rising, anxiety in me. Watching this happen. And, and, it, and that was the way it went. Day after day, day after day. And finally, thank, thank, the, thank the Lord for my mom. I think really she just gave up. I think she just broke down. But she, she, she instituted a new rule. And the rule was, if you eat all your dinner, once you're finished eating all your dinner, then you can leave. You can leave the table. And so it was great. So I had about 15-second dinners after that. I would just scarf it down and go play. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think my brother is probably still, still eating his dinner from, like, when he was eight right now. He's probably still digesting. And I, I couldn't handle that. But it was an event in our house, right? We sat down to dinner. We ate dinner together as a family. It happened every single night of the week. And maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you still do that. Or maybe you try to do that, right? It, it, it's part of life. But I, I bring this up because I, I read a stat the other day that I, that I thought was really, really interesting. Um, currently in America, the average American eats 67 minutes a day. That's all eating combined. Snacking, eating, meals, all that kind of stuff, 67 minutes. And for those of you who are struggling with math this morning, that's a little bit over an hour. Just a little bit over an hour, we're all eating combined, on average, throughout America. That's crazy. When I was growing up, dinner took over an hour. You know, you just sat down and you, it, it just was what it was, whether you wanted to or not. It was a long process. And there was family time and there were things that happened. But 67 minutes currently, and I think... Probably we've all been there, you know, stuff happens in life, life comes up, we have activities, or, or we got, you know, we got to make it to things, it's just, it's just what life is, it's fine, this is not a chastisement of, of that, but it's, it, it resonated with me that, wow, we've, we've really changed that, that far, and three things have really changed uh, with, with the American meal experience. The first one is, it's just become shorter, right, just by, by that number, it says we're averaging 20 minutes a meal, and that's probably pretty skewed, um, but about 20 minutes a meal. So that's short. The second thing is our meals are becoming easier. Easier like in the sense of um, there's less preparation to it. So often, you know, we're eating out or we're getting takeout or fast food or, or you know, a lot of us uh, like pre-cooked meals and then you just warm them up, you know what I'm talking about? So they're, they're getting easier. They're getting less involved to like actually make. So they're shorter and they're easier. And the third thing that was shocking is that more and more, our meals are alone, they're, or they're at least fragmented. It's not a lot of people. We're doing it more and more alone. And, and in fact, I epitomized this the other day. I, was, uh, I did a wedding yesterday, and so there was a rehearsal dinner on Thursday at 5.30 in Riverview. I left the church at 4 o'clock, and I hit Wendy's right here. So now you know my habits. I hit Wendy's right here at Pontiac and Maple, and I ordered a burger and fries. So obviously, I'm eating by myself in the car. I'm getting it easy. And then the short part is, my guess is, in fact, I promise you, I had eaten it by the time I hit M5. 
Like I just inhaled it, right? It hasn't changed in my life, the shortness of it. So short, easy, and alone. This is, this is the new American dinner process. And, and maybe you've been there. It's not, it's not always just alone, but you know, maybe you've gotten the kids off to, to practices and all this kind of stuff, and you have like just a couple minutes, sit down and eat really quick before you got to go get them all again, right? Maybe you've been there. Or maybe you have you know, a business meeting coming up, and, and you're getting ready for that, or, or it's lunchtime at work, and you just grab food, and you eat at your cubicle or at your desk, right? You just eat alone. You eat it quick. You eat it easy, you microwave it, whatever. But that's, that's the new trend. And it's in our culture in a lot of other places as well. Short, easy, and alone. It's kind of leaking into all facets of culture. And I bring it up because it's leaking into how we interact with God. Our spiritual lives are kind of following or mirroring uh, this trend of short, easy, and alone. And again, today, I, this is not a chastisement. This is more of like um, just when you become aware of something and you just start to think about it a little more, like you put it into perspective in your own life. But, but for example, short. Uh, in our culture today, you know, of the most of us, we spend about an hour a week. And it, it's usually right here, right now, right? We spend about an hour a week in our faith. Maybe we pray throughout the week or, you know, dinnertime prayers, bedtime prayers, those kinds of things. Maybe... Um, Maybe we get like, uh, you know, social media, you get like a scripture that pops up, you know, or maybe you're one of those people that get like a daily, daily email devotional or something like that, right? So we get it in little doses here and there, and, but it's shorter. It's a lot, it's a lot shorter. And, and usually it's, you know, you read it, you kind of you take it in, you maybe, maybe think about it for a minute or something like that, but then you, you're kind of moving on. Or, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, you just get sound bites. So I, I don't know, like Orchard Grove does it it's on Facebook. We'll put out like a three-minute clip of the sermon throughout the week, right? This is like a sound bite. So it's not, it's not the full deal. It's just something to, something to get the mind going a little bit, but it's short, right? It's not, it's certainly not diving in deep or anything like that. So we're getting shorter in how we interact. We're getting easier in how we interact too. Uh, we were talking about this uh, in, in Tuesday morning Bible study. You know, when you get to those parts of scripture that don't make any sense, you don't know what's going on, or, or it's really boring, like a genealogy or something like that, you know, you, you just skip it, right? I'll move on to something else. I've got to find like a battle scene or, like, or Jesus loving somebody or something like that, right? We just, we'll just skip that part. So we don't engage the text as much anymore. We just kind of move on to stuff we get, which is totally understandable because the Bible is, can be pretty confusing um, in a lot of ways. So we just kind of move past some of the difficult things without engaging, which is, which is really interesting because engaging the scriptures was kind of the cornerstone of the Jewish faith. And so the time the Bible's being written, that's, I mean, that's, that's the cornerstone of the faith is the engagement of it. In fact, the, the, the name Israel means struggles with God. And not necessarily struggles in the negative sense, like they can't get their act together and they're just struggling against what God's doing, but they wrestle with it. They wrestle with the scriptures. They wrestle with God's word. They they try, to, they try to see what it means. They try to apply it into their daily life. They ask questions about it. All over in the scriptures, you see people asking Jesus questions about the scriptures. And it, it becomes this, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean here? What does it mean in this part of my life? How do, we, how do we relate to it? How do we embody the word of God? So there's an engagement that we have kind of missed or, or we begin to miss with the soundbite faith. And third, again, alone. We're doing it more and more alone. How many people spend at least 90% of their Bible reading time by themselves? 90% of your Bible reading time. So if you're going to open up the Bible, you're reading it by yourself, essentially. 
the, the vast majority, vast majority of us do that. We read the Bible at home by ourselves, and then hopefully, you know, maybe we take some time and meditate it, think about it, you know, what does it apply, but, but that's where it ends. We don't go, often we don't go and find somebody to engage. Some of us do, and that's good, and I'm not saying the other one is bad. It's perfectly fine to read your Bible. You should read your Bible. Read it, read it by yourself, read it with other people, do whatever you can. But something is lost when it's just read alone, when it's only read alone. Because the, if, if you go back, again, if you go back into uh, the biblical time, and not that everything has to go back to that, but it's just the way that scriptures were engaged. It's the way they were written. They were written with a purpose, and the purpose was this communal element to it. So people didn't have Bibles back then until like the end of the 15th century when Gutenberg's press came out. People didn't, you didn't just have a Bible in your house, okay, unless you were a theologian or a priest or you were extremely well off. You didn't, it was at, it was at the local synagogue, it was at the local church, it was wherever the people congregated. And they congregated and someone would read it out loud to everybody. It'd just be read. And then when it was done being read, whoever, whoever was reading it, he would sit down or she would sit down. And then they would have a conversation about it. What does that mean to you? How do you see that? How does that apply? All these kinds of things would come up. But we don't get that when we're alone. In fact, Paul, Paul refers to this in his first letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul, Paul was starting churches, as you know, all, all throughout, the, uh, all throughout the, uh, the area, the Mediterranean area. One of the churches he started was Ephesus. Uh, in the city of Ephesus. And uh, after he left, as Paul did, he would start churches, he would move on to the next place. He left Timothy and Ephesus to, to keep it going, to get it started, um, to help lead the people, help guide them. And so Paul writes a letter to Timothy, kind of on guidance on, you know, this is what you should be doing. And, and one thing that Paul emphasizes in his letter here, and it's in 1 Timothy 4, if you want to look it up, Paul says, until I come, devote yourself, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. This was a major, major part of their gathering time because nobody had a Bible at their house. You came together, and they would read Paul's letters, they would read the Hebrew texts, but they would do it together. And this was an emphasis for Paul. Devote yourself. Don't, hey, if you get a chance, throw it in there. Devote yourself to it, to the public reading of Scripture. Do it together as a community. So don't just read your Bible alone. You're going to discuss it with other people. Um, the discussion is, is key because we find application, we find meaning by kind of rolling it around, right? Yeah, I, I, I read this quote that, um, that if a sermon can be resolved in the time it takes to give it, then either it wasn't being listened to or it wasn't any good. So you have two options there. So if you can leave, and it, it might be today that it's resolved because this is no good. You might just walk out of here and you got it all, right? But if it can be resolved in the time it takes just to hear it, then it wasn't really worth hearing. It wasn't, it wasn't anything. It needs to be discussed. It needs to be thought about. In Luke, this is, this is one of the stories about Jesus being asked about the Scriptures. In Luke, um, it says, On an occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So he was testing him on what the Scriptures meant. And he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with, What's written in the law? How do you read it? What do you think about it? What does it mean to you? And so it wasn't just ask the pastor and they'll give you an answer and then we'll just, that's good. I'll just take that and that's it. It was, what does it mean to you? How do you understand it? What have other people said about it? What's the conversation like? 
What's the, what's the current trend? Have you thought about it this way? It's a wrestling. It's a struggling with it. It's, it's a diving into it, trying to get the depths of what it is. You need that from other people. And finally, with that, with that aloneness, we don't talk about our struggles either with each other. That's become something that's very personal in America. We don't talk about the things that are on our heart. We don't talk about the things that we're unsure of. We don't talk about the things um, that gave us anxiety. We just kind of, it just kind of comes alone, aloneness. And in James, James chapter 5, James, he's talking about the community together. And he says, confess your sins to one another. And it's not just sin. The word sin, it's got some context in the Bible. So what I'm going to say is confess your missteps with one another. Confess your shortcomings with one another. Confess the things that are eating you up inside with one another, the questions you have with one another. Talk about it with each other. Bring it up to each other. We need community is what the author is saying. It's what Paul is saying. It's what Jesus is saying. There has to be a communal element to faith. Spiritual life that is short, easy, and alone isn't going to, it's not going to do anything for you. It's going to be at best a badge of honor, you know, that we went to church or I read my Bible or these kinds of things. At best, at best, it's just a little badge that hangs there. But it's not going to do anything for you. It's not going to, you're not going to grow from that kind of, that kind of spiritual life taken at that level. There's a depth to it that, that we should be heading towards. Um, and so faith in God, Jesus goes on to say this, faith in God is like food. It sustains us. Our spiritual life should sustain us. And there's nobody here uh, who, who had ever eaten a meal and then been like, that was it. That was the best meal of my life. I don't ever have to eat again. Anybody stop eating? Just recently, like, I'm good. I'm done. I did it, right? That was it. That was the meal. That was the one I was waiting for. Now I'm done. No, if you're like me, especially if you go on vacation with me, your entire vacation is predicated around where am I going to eat next, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if we can squeeze things in, we'll squeeze things in. But where are we going to eat, right? I want to eat. I want to go out to eat. I want to experience the, the city. I want to see, you know, what unique things there are out there. I'm a little bit adventurous when it comes to eating. So I want to experience it. I want, I want another meal. I want to go out and do this. And so uh, that's what faith is kind of like. Jesus, Jesus, in his temptations, he makes a statement that we don't live by bread alone. People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by the word of God. And, and Jesus is saying that that is what is supposed to sustain us. That's supposed to give us life, support us, help us grow. It's that word of God. And so um, it, it's like this meal. It's like this meal that we're supposed to constantly be going back to. And like a great meal, it requires some other elements. Now, some of us have probably had a great meal by ourselves, like just a great steak or something like that. It was such a good steak. But you can also think about meals where the food may not have been as good, but the meal itself was better because of the people you were with, because of the place you were at, the conversation that you had. One of my favorite meals uh, we had with a bunch of friends, it was a make-your-own-taco bar. It was, ground, it was ground meat. It was cheese out of a bag. You know, it was, it was shredded iceberg lettuce. It was salsa out of a jar. It was nothing in terms of a meal, right? It was like a 10-minute meal 
but the people I had it with and the time we had, and we just, we probably spent two hours eating, you know, grazing and talking and playing games and just having a great time. So it's not always the meal itself, but it's the other pieces that make it memorable, that make it impacting, right? You can all, you can all remember those times. The time that you had the hot dog, but you had it with a great friend. And so it's memorable. It's meaningful. So I said Americans spend 67 minutes a day eating on average. And so I just looked up for some context to see where that kind of ranks in the world. I just, I just wanted to know because, I, you know, I've been to, um, I've been to uh, Barcelona and Paris and we've been to Kenya and Brussels and we've been to all these places in the world. And eating habits are, are dramatically different. The habits are different. But I, 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 was, I was kind of thinking about the time it took. And so um, I looked it up. And in just in continental Europe, the average for dinner, just for dinner in continental Europe, is about an hour and a half to an hour 45 just for dinner. So that's like 50% longer than Americans eat combined just for dinner. It's an event. And in some places like France, it was over two hours. It was like two hours and 17 minutes or something like that. It's an event. And it's not done alone. And it's done, they go and they buy the ingredients that, that morning and they make the meal. And again, this is not a chastisement of easy food and microwave. It's not. It's, it's something that's conscious in their culture about the importance of, of this time. Okay? They, they have an importance around dinner. I'll give you another example. My wife and I were in Kenya four years ago. We got to spend a month um, with some friends in Kenya. And we got invited to a dinner at the pastor's house of, of the area we were in. And so um, we went there, and, and, you know, he was very proud, and he was showing us his house. He's, he was the only house uh, in, in quite a range of places that had an indoor toilet. And it was, um, it was just a toilet, and then you poured water into it afterwards, and it kind of just pushed it along. Like there wasn't a flush or anything like that. But it was an indoor toilet, so he was very proud of that. And, uh, you know, he showed us, he showed us his house, and, and we got there at like 3 in the afternoon or something like that. And... And um, a- after some conversation, some time, all the ladies went into the kitchen. That was, that's a cultural thing. All the ladies went in. They started preparing the food. So they took Jenna with them into the kitchen. And uh, they were showing her how to make food the traditional way, how they do it. And, and so she got that experience. And I, was, I, I sat out with, with the, the guys out there. And we talked. And, and just as, as things progressed, as food was ready, it would come out. And we would eat, and then more food would come out as it was ready. And, and while we're doing all this, more people are coming. So families coming from wherever they're coming from. Friends are coming in. Other important people. In the, and, and this lasted until 9.30 at night. So that's a six-and-a-half-hour dinner that we had. And food kept coming, and people kept coming. And it was just conversation. It was storytelling. There were songs. It was amazing. And and from what I gather, it, it's not an uncommon thing. Now, it's not an every night thing, but it's, it's when you have, you know, your guests over. But it just kept coming, six and a half hours. And I didn't look at my, my watch the whole time because it was fun. I was learning. Obviously, I was out of my elements. So I was learning so much. But it was just a good time. There wasn't awkward pauses. There wasn't like everybody finished the salad course and what do we do now? There's just conversation and there was movement. And, and it was one of the greatest dinners of my life. And the food was good, don't get me wrong, but it was all the other pieces. So there's this, there's this time investment element. And I say that faith in God should be, or, or your spiritual life, or however you want to call it, it should be like this great meal. It should be like this great meal and all the elements that go into a great meal. It requires time. 
It requires involvement. It requires community. These are three major factors in our spiritual life. And we've lost a little bit of that in America because of, of our independence kind of mentality. And, and independence is good. I'm not, I'm not bashing any of that. I'm just saying there are, there are outcomes from that. There are things that happen because of it. There are consequences. And one of the things is, is the loss of these three things. But our spiritual growth should be like this great meal. We need community. I know I've been here at Orchard Grove for four years, and probably since the first time I set foot on the stage, I've, I've said we need community. And it's become my mantra, and you're sick to death of hearing it. But we need it. We need it in our culture. We need each other in our culture. The song they sang, you know, we are how we treat each other at the end. And right now, culturally, again, we ignore each other. <laughs> you know, we stand on the, or we sit on the bus and we don't talk to anybody. And we stand in line and we don't talk to anybody. You know, we, we just go about doing our things. We got stuff to do. I get it. But culturally, we've kind of lost that community, a cultural community, let alone in the church, we've lost the community. In Hebrews, the author says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And this is important. What the, what the writer is talking about is that this is not a solo gig. Faith isn't a solo gig. We need each other. We need to think of ways that we can encourage one another and support one another. And you can't do that without getting involved with each other. We can't do that from a distance. You can send a text message to you know, encourage somebody on a bad day, and that's great because you can't always be right next to them. That's fantastic. But carving out the time to be next to somebody, carving out the time to care for somebody, carving out the time to laugh with somebody, just making that part of your life. He says, don't give up meeting together. We're meeting together today, and I'm glad you're all here. You know, Orchard Grove has never been forceful. On, you got to be to church every Sunday. you got to participate in everything because life happens. And it's not a guilt thing. You don't have to be here for your spiritual, uh, for, for, for your salvation or anything like that. You know, Pastor Chris has said that so many times. Church attendance doesn't count in, in God's world. It's a, like, oh, Ian, there was a, there was a, Ian, there was a string. I'm going to call you out, Ian. There was, a, there was a string of misses in there. So questioning where you're at right now. It's not like that. And that's why we don't emphasize it here. It's not a guilt thing. You can't make it. You can't make it. Life happens. We get that. But the intentionality of saying, I want to be, I want to be in the gathering. I want to be, and outside of here, get a small group. I'm telling you people, get a small group. It's not this holy, difficult, sacred thing where, you know, you get a small group and everybody's, we're going to read the word today. It's just friends. It's the people you're going to hang out with anyway. Make an excuse to hang out with them. We're going to come over and we're going to, we're going to follow the All Access series. Just do it. Carve it out of your week. Set side a t- uh, time aside. You don't have to go and invite people you don't know and it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Just, just call your friends up. We're going to do this together. I need some support on my spiritual journey and I know you need it too. Let's do it. We're going to do it on whatever day at whatever time. And just do it for six weeks. See what happens. Test me on it. Test me on it. I promise you. I promise you, you will have great times and you will grow spiritually. Don't neglect these things. The author says, we need community now more than ever. 
Now more than ever, people feel alone. We see suicide rates skyrocket, right? Depression rates skyrocket. We're alone. We're just an alone culture right now. We need each other. So I am here. It's kind of a plea. It's, it's, it's what I'm passionate about. I, I don't know any other way to say it, but we need each other. And so uh, hopefully coming in, you got a card, a small group's card. I want to encourage you today to fill it out. Say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask one friend. Three people is a small group. Three people talking about their faith together, that's a small group. I'm going to do it. Um, we'll figure out the details later, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a couple people. I'm going to engage. I can't do it every week. I can do it every other week. Great. Fantastic. Just carve out some time. I'm going to encourage you to do it. Fill it out. Drop it. Drop it in the bin. That way I can, I can reach out to you and make sure you're supported on this journey too. I want to make sure that, that you have everything you need to do it to grow. Okay? So that's my, that's my plea today community. We have to get away from short, easy, and alone. We have to get away from it in our culture. And everybody knows it. Everybody feels that. We all feel that. I talk to everybody all the time. I just wish I had more time for this. I just wish I had more time for that. I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I had more time to do the things I want. But we we just get busy. We just add stuff and add stuff and add stuff. And we can only expand so far. We have to get away from short, easy, and alone in our faith. Ask somebody, be challenged by somebody. Lift somebody up. That's what the church is. It's the combined believers of Christ together journeying. Together journeying. Question it. Challenge it. Support one another.